Hello again, and welcome back to another episode of Spooky and Disturbing Content. Today I have a true story about the Beast of Jersey, a creepy masked figure who terrorised Jersey for almost 15 years. Then I've got three disturbing facts, including a king who made his subjects worship the corpse of his beloved. And to finish off the episode, I'm taking a look at the vanishing at Dyatlov Pass, where a group of hikers were found dead and naked. So if any of that sounds like it might chill your toes, then lock the door, grab a warm cup of goodness, and join me in the dark circle. I want to play a game. There'll be food and drink and ghosts. And perhaps even a few murders. You're all invited. There are things that go bump in the night. And they mostly come at night. Mostly. Let's hope that if aliens do find us, they'll come in peace. We all go a little mad sometimes. So the story this week is about the creepy true story of the Beast of Jersey. Edward Paynell seemed like a loving family man. He lived on the remote Channel Island of Jersey with his wife and her children. Edward was always happy to help orphans, even dressing up as Santa Claus for them at Christmas. Being arrested for stealing food to share with starving families seemed like his only real flaw. But then the disturbing truth came out. Between 1957 and 1971, Jersey had been terrorised by a masked figure called the Beast of Jersey. The anonymous intruder had abducted, tortured and raped more than 13 people, most of them children. And for years, nobody knew that the beast behind this creepy story was Edward Pernell. Pernell's first attack in 1957 involved the abduction of a young woman from a bus stop. He wore a scarf around his face and approached her with a rope in his hand. Tying it around her neck, he forced her into an open field and raped her before vanishing into thin air. He repeated the same tactic a couple more times before he decided to start invading homes. On Valentine's Day 1960, a 12-year-old boy woke up to find the beast in his bedroom. Paynell then kidnapped the boy, dragged him to a field and raped him there. Paynell then raped a woman who asked him for a ride. And soon afterward, he invaded a woman's cottage and cut the phone lines, preventing her from calling the police. She was able to flee the home, but her 14-year-old daughter wasn't, and so she was also raped. Jersey police soon began questioning every resident with a criminal record, but 13 of them, including Pernell, refused to provide their fingerprints. This narrowed down their list a bit, but they soon got sidetracked when they zeroed in on a local fisherman who was known to be eccentric. At one point, residents were so sure the fisherman was guilty that a group of vigilantes burned down his house, causing the innocent man to flee. Of course, the attacks continued after the fisherman left, proving the beast was still out there. Finally, Scotland Yard arrived in Jersey to help the local police, and a criminal profile was soon constructed. Meanwhile, Paynell wrote a taunting letter to cops in 1966 bragging about his crimes. But just a few years later, carelessness led him to finally being caught by pure chance. Pulled over for running a red light on July 10th, 1971, Paynell was arrested after police found a terrifying mask in his car, along with a black wig, cords and tape. In addition, he was wearing a raincoat with nails fitted on the cuffs and shoulders. 
and he was also carrying a flashlight. After he was arrested, a search of his home revealed a secret room full of photos of local homes and books on the occult. In the end, Paynell's trial on November 29th led to just 38 minutes of deliberation before the jury found him guilty of 13 counts of rape, sexual assault and sodomy. For his crimes, Paynell was sentenced to 30 years in prison. He was then surprisingly released for good behaviour in 1991, but he died of a heart attack three years later, bringing his creepy story to an end. I suppose all I've really got to say about that is that I don't think he should have been released at all. I think for what he did, for the damage that he caused, I think he should have been locked away for life. I would imagine it's quite easy for any criminal to really fake good behaviour. So just because he's behaving good doesn't mean that he's a reformed member of society. I don't think he should have been released at all. But either way, in the end, he died. So he only had three years of freedom after his crimes. It's not like he got released and was able to live a full, long life. So I suppose that's still something. So there we are. If you'd like, you can let me know your thoughts on the story by emailing us at team at the teasoker.life or answering the question beneath the episode. But next up, I've got three disturbing facts. <laughs> And now I've got three disturbing facts. The first fact is, in 1494, Europe experienced the closest thing to a real-life zombie outbreak. Italy's Renaissance period had a major, though little-known, dark side. Sailors returning from the New World brought with them a massive outbreak of syphilis, which spread through an entire French army. The troops then brought what would become known as the Great Pox to the rest of Europe. Since antibiotics didn't exist back then, the disease was able to spread unchecked and its effects were nasty. The skin on victims' faces would essentially rot away from the disease's grisly ulcers. In some cases, the noses, lips or other body parts of the affected people were essentially gone and several of the victims eventually died from the disease. So while there might have been a lot to love about the Renaissance period in Europe, the syphilis outbreak was basically the real world version of a zombie apocalypse with a bunch of really dead looking people roaming around and spreading this disease. When people ask like, where would you want to go in history? I think we've discussed it before. We've asked each other a question like, which period would you like to live in? When people ask that, it's always cool to think, ooh, even Devin said she'd like to go back to the Italian Renaissance period. And I said like the Roman Empire or pirate times. The only issue with that is healthcare and stuff like that. Without antibiotics and modern healthcare, I think it's quite easy to die. And that's one of the major no-nos of going back in time. For all of modern society's flaws, I think healthcare is one of the main, you know, one of, one of the main reasons to pick modern times as your preferred period to live in. I appreciate antibiotics and all of modern healthcare, that's all I'm saying. But the second fact is, a king made his subjects worship the corpse of his beloved. In 14th century Portugal, the king's son, Don Pedro, fell in love with Inez de Castro. This caused a couple of problems. Firstly, his father, King Alfonso IV, did not approve because Inez was illegitimate. And secondly, Don Pedro was already arranged to be married. His father had arranged for him to marry a noblewoman called Constanza. And Inez was Constanza's lady-in-waiting. When Don Pedro refused to stop seeing Inez, the king had her killed. But when Don Pedro ascended to the throne two years later, he exhumed her body, had it clothed in royal dress, and crowned her queen. According to historical legend, he made all the other nobles kiss her hand as a sign of their devotion. That's a little bit creepy. 
There's a lot of mental kings in history, a lot of, you know, psychos and murderers. But this guy is kind of crazy. Imagine being like a nobleman or a noblewoman and walking into the grand hall. And from a distance, sat next to the king, you see a new woman. And, oh, the king's been married. The king's not got a new lady. But as you get closer, you realise she's not moving. You realise that she looks a little bit strange. As you go up to the king and you see sat next to him a dead body. And then he makes you kiss the hand of the dead body. But there's nothing you can do about it because he's the king and you have to do what he says. Otherwise, your head's getting cut off. I don't imagine that was a fun experience for all the noble people. I'm not sure how long that lasted, the king having a dead wife. But being forced to kiss her hand every morning, oof, that's a no-no. The final fact is, there was a Frenchman that ate pretty much anything. Terare, a Frenchman born in the mid-1700s, was known for eating as much as a quarter of a cow's worth of beef every day. Over time, his appetite became extremely bizarre. He began eating cats, dogs and even eels. He was eventually hospitalised for his extreme appetite, and during his stay, hospital staff caught him eating corpses and drinking blood. It's also believed that Tarar ate a 14-month-old baby that went missing from the hospital while he was admitted. Tarar died at the age of 26, and it's now believed that he may have suffered from an extreme case of polyphagia, a disease that causes uncontrollable hunger and eating. Everyone likes eating. We all like a nice meal after a long day. But apparently some of us like eating babies and corpses and drinking blood. Anyway, that's all three disturbing facts for today. Remember, if you're listening on Spotify, you can look underneath the episode and vote in the poll for your favourite fact. But next up, I'm taking a look at the vanishing at Dyatlov Pass. And now I've got a look at the mystery of the vanishing at Dyatlov Pass. This mystery began on the 27th of January 1959, when 23-year-old Igor Alexeyevich Dyatlov and his fellow students and researchers at the Ural Polytechnic Institute embarked on a hiking journey. The 10-person party aimed to reach the summit of Ototon, which is a mountain in the northern Urals. But after setting out on their journey, they were never seen alive again. When their bodies were finally found weeks later, the grim discovery only raised more questions and provided few answers. Dyatlov had told his sports club that he'd notify them via telegram once they returned, but an ominous lack of communication led to growing concern. On the 20th of February, army and police investigators were sent to investigate. What they found six days later were dead bodies, in a state so bizarre they looked like they came straight out of a nightmare. The tent had been cut open from the inside, the team's belongings including their shoes were still inside the tent. Investigators then discovered eight or nine sets of footprints in the snow that were clearly made by shoeless individuals, with the tracks leading into the woods nearly one mile away. They found the first two bodies in a forest next to the remains of a campfire. Despite temperatures as low as 22 degrees Fahrenheit or minus 30 degrees Celsius on the night of their deaths, both Yuri Krivonyshenko and Yuri Doroshenko were dressed in nothing but underwear. The next three bodies were found on the way back to the camp, also in various states of undress. They were deemed to have died of hypothermia, but half-naked bodies in below freezing temperatures weren't the strangest findings of the investigation. The other four bodies were found in a ravine two months later. But after the snow started to melt away, everything got spookier. 
two of the bodies belonging to Lyudmila Dubinina and Semyon Zolotaryov were missing their eyeballs. Dubinina's tongue was missing and they both had broken ribs. Nikolai Tibor Brignol had suffered severe fractures to his skull, the same kind one might get from a car accident. Two of the four bodies were also wearing clothing that tested positive for radioactivity. More than 60 years later, despite Russia's intention of reopening the investigation and solving the case, no clear-cut explanations have been put forward. Investigators looked to the hikers' diaries and undeveloped photographs for clues, but all they pointed to was how the weather and visibility worsened as the hikers' journey continued. That could explain why some of them died of hypothermia, but it still doesn't explain the missing eyeballs, the missing tongue, and the naked bodies. One theory suggests that they headed west by mistake, and ended up on the slope of a mountain the indigenous Mansi people call the Dead Mountain, which is where the Mansi then ambushed the hikers. Some have suggested that a forceful avalanche was to blame, or that they might have been driven insane by hypothermia, and others believe that the murders were part of a Soviet cover-up of secret radioactive weapon testing, and some believe that they were killed by aliens. However, there is no clear evidence for any of these theories, leaving another real-life mystery without any answers. This is a really interesting one. There's no clear explanation as to what happened. Just small hints here and there. The missing eyes and tongue are really strange and could point to a murder. But then there's the radioactivity and frozen bodies. If I murdered a bunch of hikers out in the woods, the last thing that I'd want to do is freeze their bodies and leave evidence. Surely a killer would want to burn everything and leave no traces. So I'm leaning more towards the theory that they all went insane. To me, that seems like the most believable. Otherwise, why would they head out naked into freezing temperatures? Could be that they went insane and turned on each other and fought each other, which could explain the missing eyeballs, the broken ribs and the missing tongue. It's a very strange mystery and it might make you think twice about going hiking in the freezing cold. But that is the end of the mystery. Let me know what you think happened. I'd be very interested to hear your theories. That's the end of another episode of The Dark Circle. I hope you're feeling a little more creeped out after listening. If you would like to let me know your thoughts on the episode or would like to contact us, you can email us at team at the tcircle.life. You can follow us and DM us on Instagram at thetcircle.life or you can use the Anchor voice link in the episode description. Remember to vote in the poll for your favourite fact and finally, remember to share the podcast if you enjoyed it. That's everything from me. Stay safe, stay alive and hopefully I'll see you next time. Goodbye for now. Mm.